You're listening to a message from Hope Central in Adelaide, South Australia. If you'd like to know more about Hope Central or any of our ministries, please visit hopecentral.org.au. share the word with you today. I'm going to be talking about something that I've, I've actually talked around a bit about um, lately. So if you've heard part of this before, then just nudge your neighbor and say, I already know this. Um, we're going to be talking uh, this month about taking care of one another and the world. And the reason that we're talking about it is because we have this uh, vision that Jesus gave us for the year that really is all about a, our church being a really healthy church. And how would you define a healthy church? Well, what we've decided to do is use the last three stories that Jesus told before his crucifixion as a picture. Because you know some people are really dumb. You've got to draw them a picture. And I think sometimes we're just really dumb. We, we just don't get it. He talks about it. He teaches about it. And he's like, oh, what do I do? I've got to give him a picture. So he paints this picture. And the pictures of, of uh, ten virgins, five wise, five foolish. And it's a picture of how much do you love Jesus. Because if you don't really love him, you don't care. You just don't pay attention. And then we've got the parable of, this, of the talents, where uh, people are given different amounts that they can invest. And it's like you're given an ability to change the world, to make the world a better place. And some people use it well, and other people bury it. And you, we are, you're really unhealthy if you're just burying who you are. But you're really alive if you're really using what God made you to be to make the world a better place. And then the last parable he cho- tells is the parable of the sheep and the goats. And we're going to get into that today, because that parable is really a picture about do you really care about other people? It's, it's really as clear as that. Um, today, I'm going to be asking this particular question, which is, who is our we? Now, last, last night, um, I was over with some of my we, my family. I went to uh, have dinner at Lily and Lockie's house um, because we are part of her we. So she cooked for us. It was fantastic. I was sitting there watching the Crows versus Port with my son-in-law, Lockie. Now, we are family until the game started. And then he just couldn't get it. Like something went wrong with his brain. He was standing up at the wrong times. He was cursing the wrong team. It's like his brain just fried. We were family, and then he became my enemy. But it's interesting how you define who is your we, because not one person on that Crows team would pick Lockie out of a crowd. If they saw him walking past, they wouldn't go, oh, it's Lockie. He's part of us. They would ignore him. Now, Port Adelaide would likewise ignore me. They wouldn't have any idea who I am. But I feel connected to them. They are my we. Now, I want you to take that idea into this story that Jesus tells. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he's going to sit on his glorious throne, and before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from goats. And he's going to place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Now, here's the definition of the sheep. He says, the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Because I was hungry, 
you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you welcomed me. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. See, Jesus has this, this picture of what is right, and what is right is when people care about one another. Does that make sense? Like, he's just like, the, the definition of my sheep, a healthy sheep, is that they, when there's a problem there, when there's a sickness there, when there's a consequence there, when there's a pain there, that, that the people that are part of your family actually do something. Doesn't that make, doesn't make sense? Like, it's completely understandable. And then they ask him, they ask him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you as a stranger and welcome you, naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer him and say, as you did for one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. And then it's almost like a dark cloud comes in. Jesus' voice goes lower. And then he'll say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Like he, you, you could hear the birds twittering in the first chapter, and then suddenly it goes dark. And the definition is this. People are asking, when did we do all of these good, kind things? When did, we, when did we do this for you, Jesus? And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I want you to understand the definition of who I am and that means that if you don't do it for others, you don't do it for me. If you do it for others, it's like you're doing it for me. And notice the word, my brothers. Jesus takes it personal. Because to Jesus, this church here, the people sitting around you, that's his family. It's his family. The people that are in the neighborhood around about us, that's his family. The people who are in jail right now, that's his family. He doesn't disconnect from us. And that, my friends, is one of the clearest definitions of the love of God. You see, I think we struggle with this disease. Asomatonosia. It comes from those three Greek words, a, which is the, as in not or not. Soma means body, gnosis means no. See, with some people, what happens is because of a, either a pre-health uh, of their brain or maybe a stroke, um, the, the perinatal part of their brain can get knocked out and it no longer functions and they no longer recognize parts of their bodies. You know, they, it's very interesting when they interview these people, they'll have... They'll say, like, this arm is not my arm. And there's nothing that any doctor can convince them that this is actually their arm because they don't recognize that that is part of their body. Can you imagine how dangerous that would be if you're walking around with parts of your body that you don't think are yours? I mean, interesting, when they do the studies about it, that oftentimes when they say, well, then whose arm is that? If it's a man, he'll say, it's my wife's or my daughter's. And if it's a woman, they'll say it's my husband's or my son's. So it's kind of me, but not me at the same time. Do you think that, that wouldn't it be a weird experience if you lost a sense of connection with your own body, how unhealthy that would be? So this is it. Jesus said, if you lost a sense of connection 
with other people, you're suffering from a pretty severe mental health problem. Now, why would we need to be told to care for other people? I take this great commandment which describes the two rules for life, which is love God and love people. Jesus said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the great and first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. These are the two most obvious things to do, right? Why are they the two hardest things to do? I mean, what do you love? I mean, Lockie loves the crows. But they're full of faults. There are some who have the most ridiculous hairstyles. There are problems galore, but yet he loves them. But there is not one fault with God at all. Is there anything more beautiful than God? Anything more lovely? Anything more joyous? If you saw the face of God, wouldn't it blow your brain? Why would you have to be told to love God? Why do you have to be told to love your neighbor? Why is it so hard that we need to be given instructions you know, Paul says to the Galatians, the whole law is fulfilled in one word, and then he gives us seven. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But then he says, no, you know what, what, we, what we are? If we bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. Does anybody know that we're living in a consumer society? <laughs> we eat the rest of the world. We don't care about them. We want to use them as food for ourselves. Like, um, it's obvious, it, many times in the scriptures, this obvious thing is dropped in Ephesians chapter 5. He, Paul's talking about husbands and wives, and he says this obvious logic. He says, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Because who? he who loves his wife loves himself. Like, why would you hate your wife? She's you. Why would you starve yourself? Why would you hurt yourself? Why would you insult yourself? That does not make sense. You are bonkers. No one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. So there is this automatic, of course. You know, let me turn to your neighbor and go, of course. Of course. Of course. Here's another of course. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 80 says, If anyone does not provide for his own relatives, especially for the members of his household, he's denied the faith. He's worse than an unbeliever. Tough words. But the reality is, if you have to be told to take care of your mom, there's something wrong with you. I don't care if your mom is a pain in the backside. She's your mom. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even tax collectors do the same. Okay, you put in the word tax collector. Jesus chose a, a charged word, tax collector, meaning somebody who's a betrayer, a, a ruiner of community, somebody who's not worth the time of day, someone who's a bad, bad, cast as the villain in every movie. Even, even the worst of people love other people who are like them. If, the, if you have a drug dealer who has a mom, he's going to take care of his mom. Because they get it, right? He's like, it's weird that we love our own and then don't love other people. So, who is our own? We're going to be talking about the parable of the Good Samaritan today. To ask the question, which is raised in the parable... 
Who is my neighbor? Now, this isn't one of those Abbott and Costello routines. I don't know if you've ever heard of Abbott Costello. They did this catch, this sketch called Who's on First? And they said, Who's on First? Yes. Well, what's his name? Who? The guy on first. Who? Well, what is his name? Who? And they keep going, they think, because the guy's name is actually who? So Jesus is not actually saying, my neighbor is named who? Just so you know that. Okay. All right. Here is the setup for the parable. He says, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test. So lawyer, don't think legal expert in social law. Think legal expert in theology. Okay? Someone who studies God's laws. A lawyer stood up and put him to the test saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, the legal expert answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, says to Jesus, who is my neighbor? It's very interesting. When you're legalistic, everything comes down to hair splitting, doesn't it? Do I have to do that but not that? You know, you remember when, like, I'm noticing now, because I have a granddaughter, that my, my, uh, my daughter and her husband, Luke, they're always negotiating with her about how much to eat at, like, tea. You give her a plate of food, but do I have to eat this? It's like, how much of this? Exactly half of this? What about this part of the carrot that isn't quite the right, correct color of orange? Like, it's just, it's hair splitting. It's very legalistic. How much do I have to do? And Jesus is dealing with an expert in law. Who is my neighbor? And I think it's fantastic. I'm so glad this guy showed up. Because we need these people around us. These picky, fussy people who are asking the dumb questions to get us all thinking, right? So, who is my neighbor? Now, of course, he's going to go through, in his mind, certainly not evil people, right? My neighbor, this person I'm supposed to love as myself, is not an evil person. Okay? And that couldn't possibly be, you wouldn't mean sinful people. You're Jesus. You're son of God. Come on, you couldn't be, you're not supposed to help the bad guys, Right? You're not supposed to help people from a different race or maybe a different country. Who are Jews? It's over Jews. What about those who don't agree with me? Well, of course, you don't help those people who are actively working against you, do you? What about those people I don't like? Certainly, I don't have to like love the people I don't like, do I? <laughs> and then probably, what about people who don't never help me? I mean, this is a tough question, isn't it? Who is my neighbor? Because what if my neighbor is my enemy, a doer of evil? What if Lex Luthor is my neighbor? Am I supposed to love him? What if Lex Luthor is a Satan worshiper? Am I supposed to love him? Like, so here, here's, here's the thing, right? Are we supposed to love Vladimir Putin? Jesus loves Vladimir Putin, but he's bad. He's evil. Mmm. Maybe love means something we didn't think it meant. But you could go through the list of things about reasons why you should love somebody from a legal standpoint, and Jesus is not going to talk about that at all. In fact, that's actually not how love works. 
So, who is your version of we? If I was to ask you today, and you say, we won, we're doing well, the economy is working good for us, who do you mean? Your we is the, the you ask the question then about who's included in your you. Is it the place that you were born, your family, your race, your team, your group, your peers? Are you Canadian? <laughs> Hands up. Lonely room. Are you Australian? Plenty here. Yes. Are you an Asian? African? Are you a nurse or a poet? Are you a surfer? Are you an emo? Who is your we? Who is your version of us? It's a very interesting thing, I think. Every time the Olympics come around, I have a great deal of difficulty because I don't know who to cheer for. If, uh, fortunately, Canada is good at winter, Australia at summer. Not much of the vice versas. So whenever I'm watching an Olympics, there's usually one country that I can cheer for and say, we won! We got the gold medals! And I think sometimes those athletes would love to come to us in our lounge rooms with our, you know, soft fizzy drinks and our chips that we are consuming the whole time as we watch them, the athlete, do the work. And when we shout, we win! I'm sure the athletes would go, you were not there. You did not get up at 4 a.m. and swim laps in the pool. I did not see you there one time! You're fat, and you're sitting on a couch, and you think you won something. But weirdly, we connect, don't we? We feel like we're part of something. Whenever I hear something about an international deal that goes on, if it's in the favor of the Canadians, I think it's a great deal. doesn't matter who else it is. Australia, too bad. Because they're my we. I can't get it out of my head. So, the Pharisees thinks, who is my neighbor? He's really thinking, I want to choose my neighbor. And here's the thing. We all think we do. We all think we can choose our neighbor. We want to find merit in our neighbor, those who deserve our help. And we invite into our version of us because we picked them to be. Now, Jesus is telling this parable because we are wrong to think that. But we don't know how we're wrong. So Jesus has to tell us a story. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, in case you don't know, in, the, in that time, these people would have known this. They're, Jericho is very close to the level of the Dead Sea, which means it's actually below sea level, the city of Jericho. It's, it's really low. And Jerusalem is picked, was picked for this wonderful place to have a capital city because it's on top of a hill. So it's like actually thousands of meters difference. And to go down to Jericho, you're literally going down a mountain path. And it's dangerous, twists and turns, lots of places for robbers to hide. So it was a terrible place. And at the bottom, it's like the gangland. It's, Jericho is the worst city at that time. So he knows he's walking into danger, going down. He fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by the other side. Nice. So likewise, a Levite. When he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. Notice what Jesus does in the story. He doesn't pick Bob the butcher. He's not talking about Sally the hairdresser. He picks a priest and a Levite. Two people that you would think are like God. 
people who would have some kind of education about being godlike. You might as well say the minister and the priest, the nun or the Christian social worker. Pick anything you want. You're supposed to read. These people are supposed to be like God. And what do they do? Well, they just walk by. But then a Samaritan, and Jesus is always telling stories with charged characters. A Samaritan is like an outsider, somebody who is a half-caste. And in that culture, half-caste was worse than no-caste. Like if you were not Jew, that is better than being half-Jew. So these people who are sort of imposters in the community, this, this terribly bad person, just because of his race, as he journeyed, he came to where he was. When he saw him, he had compassion. Now, he went to him and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he set him on his own animal and brought him to the inn and took care of him. I don't know a lot about first century medicine, but oil and wine does not sound a solution to, like, to much, does it to you? Like, imagine if you, you, know, you were in a car crash, an ambulance pulls up, and they pull out the bag, a keg, and some, some oil. What are, what are we going to do with that? Like, I think, you know, oh, he's hurt. Let's get some wine in him. And he's really drunk, you know. And, you know now you've got a drunk guy. So what do you do with a drunk guy? Well, you oil him all up. Oil him, get him nice and slippery. Let's get him slippery. That's probably, it's wrong. There's a little too much friction here. We need to, skin is dry. Let's oil him all up. Anyway, we got moisturizer. Let's lubricate, lubricate. And then you got to try to get him on your donkey. You get a drunk, a drunk, slippery guy trying to get on a donkey. I think that would just be so funny, wouldn't it? Oh, he's over the other side again. Oh, he's landed on his head. Oh, well, more oil, more wine. Whoa, he slipped off again. More oil, more wine. Anyway, I'm glad medicine's moved on. How about you? So, the next day, so he took him, put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave him to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be, proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, well, the one who showed him mercy. And when Jesus said to him, well, why don't you go do that? Now, I think that this story is, is so smart because Jesus knows something that we don't know about people. Jesus shows that the inclusion into your we is by connection. You should be asking this question. Who am I connected to? Who am I tied to? Who would I help? That's the definition of who's included in your we. Because it's weird, but even though we choose our friends based on how kind or unkind or nice or interesting they are to us, we select them and we'll even dismiss them because they don't meet the standard. You can't do that with your family, can you? What do they say about family? You can't live with them, can't shoot them. <laughs> Just don't. No, I do the first. Sorry. <clears throat> it's interesting that the people we are so deeply connected to, it goes beyond merit. It's a connection that you can't define. Some of you love very difficult children. And some of you love very difficult parents. My children do. We, 
in a sense, absorb the wrongness of others because they're part of us. So the main question of the whole parable is this. How do I inherit eternal life? Because Jesus wants to think you to think about inclusion in God's inheritance from the perspective of this. Who is God's neighbor? Who is God's we? And how can you tell? You see, the question really is not about who is my neighbor because the second question, who is my neighbor, needs to be answered by the first question, who is my God? Because if you know God, it changes all of your neighbors. And, and so the primary question, and the question that the man actually wants answered is, how do I inherit eternal life? What do I need to do? And Jesus said, you can't do anything. I mean, some of you here, you, you are religious people, whether you know it or not, because you're always trying to do something to be included in God's family. Does God love me? What did I do? And it's all dependent on your performance constantly. But of course, if you're only included because you're doing the right thing, you're not really included because you can be rejected at any time. Listen, if you have friends and those friends are only accepting you because you do or live or think a certain thing, then they're not really friends because you'll just, they'll dismiss you. They're not part of your we. A friend is somebody who won't reject you. And see, God is saying, or Jesus is saying to this man, you are trying to figure out how to get included in an inheritance. Well, guess what? Nobody earns their way into an inheritance. Because it's given to children. So how can you tell that you're part of God's we then? Well, God's we is clearly the one that God rescues. To point out the absolutely blatantly obvious, because I'm not making my point well, if the beaten man in the story had been the son or the Levite or the priest passing by, then of course they would have run and helped him. Right? Would you? You know, it doesn't matter how holy you think you are, how, oh, I don't want to get the blood on me, I'll be unclean. If they're your child, you run to the rescue, right? Because they're your we. Not long ago, um, we were out, it was like a public holiday, and we, like most of our family, were all out down at uh, the beach, and there's this giant play equipment thing all fenced off, and the kids are, are all playing, and so... My granddaughter is in there playing with all the other kids. And it's, you know what it's like when the playground is like two or three kids, it's easy, you can keep an eye on them. But when it's like 50 kids, you're like, what's going on here? And, I, and I'm like, I don't know what it is when you're a grandparent. You're just more vigilant, right? Every child is a potential terrorist that could hurt mine, you know? And like, are you, are you okay climbing that? Do you need me to help you move? You know, like, she can almost play on the play equipment with me moving her arms and legs. You know what I'm saying? I just want to make sure she's safe the whole time. So I'm like, I'm in there. It was my turn. It's in the zone. And I'm like falling around and doing everything. And then this kid falls off the play equipment, this other little boy. Plunk on the ground. I didn't think it was a debilitating injury. No, don't call the ambulance. It was just normal childhood trauma falling off play equipment. And he's crying. And every other parent that was doing what I was doing in the playground, I'll go like this. There's a kid here. There's, there's a crying child here. Who is this child's we? Now, if I went up, you know, a strange 50-year-old man, 
trying to play with children in the playground. That's not on. It is not on. So I'm like, what do I do here? I can't, I can't intervene. I can't do it. I don't want to be like a predator. I don't want to you know, look, give the wrong scene. So I just got to. So I'm just like, well, who is this? Kids. We. Because if you are the we of the Father in heaven, then he rescues you. And that's how you know that you're the neighbor of God. Because he rescues you. Now, here's the problem. Every other religion in the world thinks you work for the favor of God. Christianity is the only one who says that you know your God's because he saves you. Because you admit that you are not good enough and he loves you anyway. And it's that saving that changes your heart so that you go, I guess I'm his. It's not what you do, it's what you didn't do and were forgiven for that helps you know, oh, God's my father. God cares. He loves me. And you're always included from that moment on because it changes your definition of we. Jesus puts a Samaritan in the story because everyone would have seen him as a definite outsider, but he didn't lack like an outsider. He said, your pain is my pain. Your trial is my trial. Your fate is my fate. The person who acts like the neighbor is the neighbor. So to answer the question, I was hungry. You gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Why did the sheep help? And why didn't the goats help? Well, Jesus said, he'll answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. Because for me equals for them Because to Jesus, they're his family. They're his. If we, if we are his, then they are us. And that's why I think that we have a submatagnosia. We've forgotten. We, we, why don't we get involved in the needs of other people? Because we've forgotten that they are us. They are us. Can I tell you one more story? There's, there's a story in the Bible that is defined as one of the best stories to, to show Solomon's wisdom. There's not very many stories of Solomon's wisdom that are registered, but this one is. And what happens in the story is this. Two prostitutes are living in the same house. One, they both fall pregnant. They both have babies. But during the night, one of the babies dies. The mother of the baby that's just died wakes up. She's distressed, but she switches the babies. And in the morning, wakes up, and the mother, the other mother realizes that her, the baby that she's got with her is dead, but it's not her baby. And the other mother goes, oh, that was sad. Your baby died. Mine's fine. And, of course, the mom is like, this is not my baby. But there's no birth records. There's no way to prove anything. Now it's arguments among people who basically they've got no legal help. So they go eventually to King Solomon. And Solomon goes, I can figure this baby out. Get it? Figure the baby. Anyway. He pulls a sword out. 
He says, it's really simple. We'll just chop this baby in half and give half to each of you. Ready, set. Now, what he knows is this. The real mom will do anything to save the baby in that moment. So she goes, no, no, it's not my baby. It's her baby. Give the baby away. Don't let it die. Because the instinct of who is your we is beyond your choices. In fact, it goes against your desires. It will hurt and carve out your soul because it's so deep in you that you will do anything to protect those that are your own. And Jesus is saying that same sword is over all kinds of people all of the time. And if you're not jumping, it's because you don't feel like they're yours. There's people that are struggling with poverty. There are people that are getting sick and dying. There are people who struggle with their mental health every single day. And we kind of sit around and go, well, it's not mine. They're not me. And Jesus is saying, see, that means you're not healthy. Because to me, they are mine. So well, how do you fix that then? Well, the Apostle John says this. By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us. You see, that's where it is. You know that you're loved by him because he died for you. That's how you know. You're not going to know it any other way, but you can know this, that he loves you because he died for you. So we should lay down our lives for our brothers then. You see, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how could God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love and talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. I'm not telling you this because I think if I blast Ash enough and say, you don't care enough about other people that he'll somehow connect with those people because that's trying to connect them by his works. I'm trying to tell you this. You need to get to know the Father's love for you because then that will make you a compassionate person to others. Compassion does not come because you're trying to force yourself to. It comes because you received compassion and having received compassion, you give compassion because you're now sharing it with those that God also loves. Whether they are in your group or not, they become yours. And if you feel like I feel, I'm saying these things to me too, if you feel like I feel that I don't care enough, then you and I, we need to get to know the Father's love for us. And I'm not saying that, oh, well, let's just spend some more time praying. I'm saying if you, you've got to get to know his compassion and his concern and his love for you, and then you won't help. You won't be able to stop. You'll just start bringing other people into your family. So let's pray. Father, we need a miracle in us. I know this, this world in which we live, it teaches us to think about ourselves, to prioritize number one, that we measure the winds as, as things that are good for us and those that are close to us. And Lord, we've been polluted in our thinking. Our hearts are, are faulty and they're, they're not right. We don't care the way we should. 
But Lord, we're not looking to any kind of human principle or way to change. We are turning our hearts solely towards you that you could bring a change in us. God, we believe that you sent your son Jesus to die for us. And we believe, Jesus, that you sent your spirit to us so that we could know you. So we're opening up ourselves now to you, Holy Spirit. Come in and change us. Come in and teach us how much Jesus loves us. How much he was willing to sacrifice to save us. That he's the good Samaritan who lays down all of his his opportunities to pay the price for our wounds. Lord, you are our rescuer. Help us to know that deeply. If, If you are a person who's never opened yourself up to the love of God through Jesus Christ, who's never experienced his forgiveness, maybe you've played around with it, you've got religious ideas, maybe you're curious about Christ, but you've never really allowed his Holy Spirit to come live in you because you're still in charge You're still living life on your own terms. But God is speaking to you right now saying, come home. Let me save you. Let me rescue you. You don't need to and you're not supposed to do life on your own. Let me save you. If you're that person right now that you really need to know the love of God through Christ, then why don't you just surrender yourself now to him? say, Jesus, I believe you died for my sins. I believe that you rose again from the grave so that I could have eternal life. And I pray now that you would take me and my life and you would make me part of your family. Make me part of your we. Save me from my sins and give me the gift of your eternal life. And Lord, for all of us here today, we are human people who need to know and to be changed by the love of God every day. So we're praying, Lord, that you would move in our hearts, move in our minds, move by your spirit, Lord, in us. Give us revelation and understanding and deep understanding of knowledge, Lord, that transforms the way we see others. Lord, show us your love so that we can show it to others, we pray. Lord, thank you that we can trust you for that miracle because you have done it so many thousands and billions of times again and again. Lord, change us. Help us to care. Give us beating hearts that love our brothers and sisters no matter who they are. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Hope Central in Adelaide, South Australia. If you want more information about who we are, visit us at hopecentral.org.au or join us for Sunday worship at any of our three campuses.